Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show, interviews with Claire Sands and Farah L about their new albums and new tunes come courtesy of Kairiko and Staff Party. We'll be playing their songs in full at the end of the show. But first, Claire Sands has been on the podcast before. Episode 204, if you want to go back and listen. That was when she was in the middle of her Teardrika, August Fumdrika, Landscapes and Soundscapes EP. That saw her set up shop in each of the four provinces of Ireland and collaborate with artists over the course of 2021, and the results were stunning. We talked specifically about Aralum de Ruin, Tell Me Your Secrets, featuring Steve Cooney and Tommy Sands. That track has made it onto her self-titled debut album, as does Carry My Song with Susan O'Neill, and the album is amazing, centred around the rousing call to arms of On Manaw. Siobhan Long, reviewing the record for the Irish Times, said, She paints from a rich palette of found sounds, spoken word, fiery percussion, and a lyrical exuberance that propels the whole enterprise ever onwards. You can get the album on Bandcamp. There's a vinyl record release coming around Christmas, which looks like it's worth it for the cover image alone. We talk about it in our chat near the end, so let me describe it just in case you haven't seen it. Claire's wearing a bright red flowing dress and is tumbling in the sea under the waves with her hands grasping a fiddle. It's a brilliant, real visual. Claire's got some tour dates coming up. She plays the Green Room in Dingle on October 5th, the Cobblestone in Dublin on October 6th, the Dunkern in Belfast on October 8th, Dunfanaghy in Donegal on November 25th, Untowark in Galway on November 26th, and she's also playing the Manchester Folk Festival in the UK on October 14th, and she has a German tour from October 28th to November 19th as well, if you happen to be lucky enough to live in Germany. Claire had been in League County Cork for the Singers Festival the night before we talked in Dublin. And that's what we discuss first, just so you know. Let's take a listen to Ceylon of Claire Sands' self-titled debut album first. These western shores Fallen golden sands Your caressing hands Our bodies glide We move with the tide The thunder she roars You cry out for more Sunday morning 
we are still intertwined The heat of passion, moonlit night gone by The sunlight creeps in, you explore every crevice in my skin The record spins, oh God bless sin about Dream League you were just down in Dream League was that a, a nice uh, nice gig it was a sing- brilliant singers festival yeah it was brilliant it just the the sense of community I could feel straight away was brilliant you know and important it's funny the last few months has been mad travelling of the world and whatnot, and um, you know when that sense of community isn't there straight away you know and just to be met with smiles and I played in this big old church the lighting and everything it was just beautiful and anytime any excuse get down to West Cork and Michael Collins country is always good (laughs) (laughs) you seem to have been extremely busy over the summer was it nice to just get back on the road it was great yeah I think like everybody it was great but it also was sort of mental you know um non-stop like not to 90 not to a billion I think it was uh I don't think I've spent five consecutive days anywhere for a long time um which I like you know I like being on the move but definitely I'm I'm ready for the the autumn as well and all that that entails I think and less jumping around fields but there's been a lot of that (laughs) what stands out from the summer you mentioned Glastonbury before we started recording was that a special weekend yeah it was it was great you know I was playing with the hottest flowers and got to just bring an electric violin and plug into this gigantic amp and just rock out you know with these guys that I've admired for since I was 16 you know these kind and and humble souls um so it was brilliant and just to to catch all the other musicians and artists as well you know I was only over there for a night but we really made the most of it and (laughs) did plenty of 
dancing <laughs> plenty of it and exploring did you get to walk around yeah i was practically running you know i only had one night so i was just running from point to point to point but um yeah just some amazing music like bonobo and i was telling you about first aid kit and little sims and just incredible to see those artists very inspiring and that's what you you come away feeling afterwards and saint vincent was another one actually that stood out for me just fearless you know fearless wacky fearless <laughs> um but i loved it yeah it was great and one of the things I guess people might know you from over the summer was your uh, quest to get your uh, equipment, your yes. instruments back yes. from the airport. Uh, what was it that was it your fiddle that had gone missing or? It was it was a bag of basically all the pedals, all the gear, all the costumes, all the jewellery, sort of everything. Um, my prized possessions plus a lot of the music equipment like happily enough it wasn't my fiddle or guitar there they never leave my body but it was all the other things that are very very hard to to replace um but I found the bag lying on the ground of Dublin airport coming back from Glastonbury like I was looking at it going is that my bag like I hadn't slept in two days I thought it was a full-on mirage and I was there going no way it can't be my bag and I just went over had a look at it and off I went you know into the sunset it was that easy but it was a chaotic time as well there was thousands upon thousands of of bags so very very fortunate and uh yeah <laughs> yeah we came back through uh Dublin airport at the kind of the start middle of June and just yeah just a crazy amount of bags lying around yeah. it seems like it's happened to a lot of people um wasn't there another musician as well who his bazooki went missing yes Andy Irvine Andy Irvine yeah, yeah, yeah I think he only got them back recently as well I did ring him up and tell him a few little tricks of the trade oh, yeah. <laughs> I basically oh this is actually mortifying now but my mom was like you have to go on Joe Duffy you have to go on Joe Duffy I was like mom I will in my um, but she rang up the producer. So I'm sitting in Kerry, you know, after coming out of the sea and enjoying a coffee and I get this call and it's like, hi, this is Joe Duffy. We want to talk to you about your bag. You'll be on in 10 minutes. And I was like, what? My mom had rang them and gave them my number, right? So I'm there talking to Joe Duffy and I basically incited like a riot telling everybody to just go to Dublin Airport, <laughs> barge in and take their belongings, you know? Um, so yeah, it was a mad time, but delighted to have it back, you know? Jesus. Do you know, like, was it always there from the start, except it was in a different part of the airport? Or was it like in, like, I don't know, Spain, Vietnam? Did it go all over the world? I think it was in New Jersey the whole time because I sent, it was like a spy mission or something. I sent a fella to Kansas City Airport. Then I sent a fella to New Jersey. Like all these, like, you know, people that I'd met over the years to check the New Jersey airport. And because we'd been up and down to Dublin trying to get it back and... Yeah, it eventually just showed up one day, you know, the day that I was coming back from Glastonbury, funnily enough. So happy days, Owen. (laughs) And have you taken flights with all of your equipment since? I have just been brazen. I've just walked onto the plane with absolutely everything, you know, like Aer Lingus owe me a lot of money for everything that I had to replace for the three months that it was gone. Oh, you replaced all of them? Oh, okay. I had to, like it went missing at the start of May and I got it back sometime in July, I think. Um, so I had to, it was festival season and I had to get everything again, you know, costumes and things that, you know, I'm not a materialistic lady and, you know, everything that I wear, like it holds value, you know, and it was, there was, you know, handwoven crishes from the Iron Islands and like everything had thought into it and had taken a long time to sort of accumulate. So everything had to be replicated. Um, so at the moment I'm just walking onto planes with guitar, fiddle, bag, everything and I'm like, come at me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nobody stopped you since. No? Nobody no? has stopped me oh. since. Yeah. <laughs> and are you booking like three seats? For no, I'm just no? walking onto planes. Wow. So nobody wants to sit next to you. Because no, you're like so I know. Cr- I know. So I know. You just, you just can't. I can't afford it happening again. You know. Yeah. It was. Uh, oh man, it must have been so stressful. Yeah, and I, again, I'm not a woman to get riled up, but um, I was a little bit riled up now. Just, it was honestly, you know, body and soul, followed by Galway Folk Festival, followed by All Together Now, followed by, you know, in between going back and forth to Germany and stuff. So it wasn't ideal, but. I have a back and I'm very, very grateful. And I hope that everybody else's whose bags are back <laughs> continues to get them back. And was there any other um, musicians that you were talking to about it, like uh, getting onto them and reassuring them, like, you'll get it, you'll get your stuff? Yeah, Andy Irvine was a, was a guy that I just rang up randomly and <laughs> told him the tricks of the trade, you know. But it seems that everybody has got bits back and it seems like everybody's just walking onto planes now with everything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Try and stop me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Is this, so this is, presumably like the busiest summer that you've had as a musician I'm guessing yeah I think on under my own name definitely you know there's been a few years of festivals you know playing with majority like loads of different artists but definitely doing my own thing and playing my own songs yeah for sure and uh loved every moment of it you know but it is it's mad looking back on it all and just seeing how fast it all went and you know thinking about things like all together now and the dancing and the trad rave and everything else that had that happened it's bad um but it was just brilliant and great to be meeting up with people that you haven't seen in so long you know uh and just yeah like sharing crack (laughs) what other acts have you played with before the last few years i suppose i did a lot with susan o'neill and then the hottest flowers and um oh geez various different people stephen james smith for a few gigs and Loads of different artists, lots of collaborations, and that's a massive part of my, of me, you know. And it's, it's a small country, and working with all these different people and people that that I admire makes me learn, you know. Especially when you're you're, as we all were, we were trapped in Ireland, and you can't keep traveling for for different experiences and cultures. And it's great to be able to bounce off people that you admire and your heroes. Um, so that that has been fantastic the last few years to be playing with all these heroes of mine you know and to to bring it back home then and to be able to sing my own songs and everything at the festivals over the the last year was great as well how do you kind of get those gigs with the other acts more when you're starting out is it just a case of saying yes to everybody who asks i think so probably yeah probably but i'm a divil at saying yes as well like i just love i love playing the fiddle and i love playing with people and (laughs) like i love touring and traveling around and you know, it, it it is nice though and it's humbling to, you know, play the first gig, say, with the Hottest Flowers when I was 16 or 17 and I didn't want to do it because I was like, I'm not playing with these old lads. <laughs> and my mother had to like force me down to play with them in Blarney. And then, you know, 10 years later, you're standing beside these gentlemen playing Glastonbury and it comes full circle, you know, and to just surround yourself, I think, by kindness and, and humble people as well, you know, doesn't doesn't go astray uh have you been saying no to people lately have you had to say no to some acts lately just because you have been so busy under your own guys yeah a little you know I think people as well they see that you know they see that I'm doing my own thing at the moment and you know but I've I've definitely had to say no to to gigs for sure because it's just been yeah it's been flat out but 
It's how we like it as well. <laughs> uh, your mum has come up now twice in the first like 10 minutes. Yeah. Is she uh, very important and kind of pushing you to, to, to do things? <laughs> well, fair play to her. Joe Duffy and the Hottest Flowers worked out fairly well for me, you know. <laughs> um, absolutely. Like my parents are great. I think most people's parents are great, you know, and you, you, you notice that maybe when you get to the mid to late 20s, you're like, oh, Jesus, they're actually not too bad at all. And, you know, it's funny, people are going back around as well to like living with their parents it's just because of our generation and housing and everything else and people are going they're not too bad at all you know <laughs> um no she's brilliant you know she's a brilliant piano player and singer and artist and as is my dad like a brilliant fiddle player and they've been very very supportive which is great and have pushed me to do things for sure which you know when I was younger probably definitely protested against but I'm very happy for it now uh when we talked last year about 18 months ago about 18 months ago mm. isn't it? um you had mentioned that you started to learn the fiddle at age three so i wanted to know like the the journey since then was it just your parents who who were telling you pick up this fiddle and, and learn how to play yeah do you know what it was actually my great grandmother that gave me the very first fiddle funnily enough and it was a tiny little thing like the size of I don't know my my elbow to my hand you know oh yeah a little baby um, fiddle tiny little baby fiddle I don't even think they exist anymore you know <laughs> just, just make some noise with this absolutely screech away um screech away but yeah always learning from my dad but then I you know I studied classical music for a long time and then went to UCC and got mad into jazz and then got completely obsessed with the world of gypsy jazz you know that really fast sort of French um, just free rhythm, you know, and kind of tunes. Romanian, exactly, Gogol Bordello, exactly, Stefan Grappelli, sort of Django Reinhardt stuff. And I don't know, I've always seen the similarities with Irish music, to be honest, like not melodically, say, but the energy and the way you play a tune, and then you sort of go off and improvise for a while, and then you come back to the tune, but the energy of it, you know, and the, the crack like associated with it. So, did many years of going back and forth to Holland and studying over there with all that sort of music and now I'm you know the, the trad has always been there but definitely I, I went and did absolutely everything else under the sun as well but it seems now like I've, I've found myself and my style say in the last year or two with having time to do that and just coming back to the absolute roots but not being afraid to leave the other influences come in you know because I'm never going to be a purist you know <laughs> um yeah, it keeps it interesting to be able to have all the travels and everything else that I've learned come into the fiddle playing, you know, and uh, yeah, it's it's nice to find that voice maybe after so long. And so did you just keep playing the fiddle when you were younger and just kind of got better and better and better? You enjoyed? Yeah, I was fairly obsessive, I'd say, you know, fairly obsessive. Uh it seems to be part of my character. If I decide to do something, like, I'm very, very determined. <laughs> um, yeah, so the fiddle was the big thing for me, as was martial arts. Like, that was... Oh. Funnily enough, yeah. <laughs> I started martial arts when I was about seven and only stopped it just at the pandemic because you couldn't. So, got the black belt, you know, wow. fought for Ireland, got the world what? medals. <laughs> like, all of that, you Got know? world medals? Yeah, yeah, three of them. What? <laughs> I know, it's mad. I say it sometimes and I'm like, do I believe it? But yeah, it actually it did happen over in Italy, yeah, one year. Wow, that's uh, um, amazing. It's funny, it's funny because you wouldn't put, the funny thing is you would never put the two of, the, of them together. But I always saw the similarities with martial arts and fiddle playing and music because it's something that you have to spend a lot of time doing by yourself, you know, like really studying and being patient and determined and, and uh 
just the calmness of it, you know, and the solitary and the com the community as well, maybe, you know, and sort of people having your back like a band or whatever. And I think the discipline as well, you know, like people think when you say martial arts that you're off like boxing people in the head type of thing. But there's a little bit of that too. But in general, <laughs> it's really disciplined, you know, it's really meditative and disciplined and yeah I'm dying to get back to it to be honest because it's oh, just you been, haven't haven't gone back to it no I mean I, I stopped when the pandemic came and that and I'd been honestly training religiously up to that point and then there was sort of a year and a half and the gyms were sort of the last to come back you know physical mm. contact and stuff and then the last year has just been so busy that I can't get back to it fully so I've just been throwing myself into the sea and like fighting the waves instead <laughs> Uh, geez, I don't know what to ask about martial arts. <laughs> it's like not something that I know that much about. Like, would you watch it on TV? Would you watch the contests that are happening on TV? Um, not really. You know, not really. Like, I would. Fi I'd find it very, very hard to watch MMA or anything. I was never into that. You know, um, like the thing that I did and got the world medals for was karate, and it wasn't really fighting karate. It was the the karate that it's a series of movements. Like it's, it's called kind kata. Of technical. Exactly, a series of movements, maybe thirty, forty movements, um, like a dance. You know that you you go right then you go left straight forward you know whatever um and then i started mad getting mad into brazilian jiu jitsu again for the last few years which is it's not you know there's no kicking or punching or anything it's all it's like a game of chess on the ground you know it's sort of like wrestling and you're thinking about where they're putting their your hand and how can you get out of that and it's very technical but it's like chess you know if you like chess wow um i like chess it's uh, the same thing i've okay. <laughs> not not really gotten to chess that much i'd like to try yes uh, jiu-jitsu yeah. or chess you can try one of them first <laughs> one or the other um so you don't watch ufc or anything no. like that have you ever have you tried like is it just like this isn't it's i'm not into it you know yeah. i'm not into That's the proper boxing the head off yeah <laughs> i'm not into it you know I, I like when they're down on the ground and, and doing jiu-jitsu and it's more you know when that element comes into it but not into the the boxing the head off each, yeah, off the, each other yeah the visceral sure. bloody nature of it no oh no not into <laughs> that <laughs> uh what was it like winning a gold medal mad like you know did you think that that was going to be your your career um no i didn't you know it's i'd say it'd be fairly hard to make money as a black belt in karate yeah. probably um but I definitely knew I wanted to get to the top of my game in it. Like I wanted wow. to get the black belt and, you know, I was young now. I was probably maybe 14, but, you know, it was funny. Nearly then I felt like I peaked or something. I had the black belt, had the world medals and then just started exploring every other discipline. I suppose in a way, again, it's going back to music. Like you can get to the top of your game and say, I don't know, the best West Clare fiddler of all of time. But, you know... It's then like discovering and exploring all the elements of the music or something, you know. So that's what I started doing as well with the martial arts. Um, but yeah, just always found it very, very calming and meditative, as mad as that sounds. And <laughs> yeah, it's just the sea has taken over in the last few years, which I'm also completely fine with. <laughs> <laughs> are you competing? Uh, are you doing any competitive swimming or anything? Uh, I I have my eyes on a few oh, really? races and stuff. Yeah, again, it's just the time this year, but... Absolutely. Like I was just looking out your window there at Sea Point, and I remember setting myself the challenge last year of doing all the boys like in a certain length of time and stuff. So something like that will happen soon, I'd say. Did you do it? <laughs> I did. Yeah. How, you, how I did long? Indeed. Um, it was, it was good. Like I can't. What was it now? It was last summer. 
can't remember exactly. I just remember being quite cold afterwards because mm. it was around this time and I just went off in the talks like um, and I didn't even have one of the little boys. It was like, oh, ah, oh wow. I know. I just remember sitting in the car and going up to Black Rock and just like going into a cafe and the hands are shaking, you know. Um, but brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. I love it out there. Wow. Fair play. Yeah, I see yeah. them see them all the time. Like people, you can you yeah. can tell when they're doing them yeah. all and you're like, fucking fair play. And their wetsuits. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Coming back to the to the music. Did you ever stop with the fiddle while the karate took over? Never. Really? No. They were always hand in hand. And were you just kind of going through the through the levels? Yeah, with both of them, with the fiddle and the karate, you know, they just really went hand in hand. Yeah, you had to get every level with the classical fiddle and then every level of belt with the karate. So they were always just entwined, you know. Tommy Sands, who we've talked about mm. before, he's uh, reciting one of his poems on uh, one of the songs on the album. Mm. Um, is it important to see the family members that who were doing who were doing music all the time was that kind of something that you saw them doing that you just wanted to do um I, I never really thought about it I I we were always in a house in Cork that had sessions you know open invites at the weekend and sessions you know my parents just just love that hosting and I do remember falling asleep a lot with the chink in the door you know and my dad is such a a night owl as well which I am too that I always just fell asleep to his fiddle playing you know so yeah to to have people like Tommy and to see my dad's influence come through is very special and I'll probably really think about it in 10 years time when I appreciate it more you know (laughs) but yeah it is very special and just always in that environment the whole time growing up Christmas you know you, you performed and when when we had the sessions every weekend you performed and it definitely had a massive influence on me you know Great. And traveling as well seems like it's a big part. You've already mentioned some countries. Like, has that always been a thing as well for you? Massive, massive. Like every January, I just head away by myself, you know, every single January for the last, I think, seven years. You know, it started by going over to South America to where was I? Guatemala. And then I went to Cuba and Mexico and Morocco. And then last year, this year coming, I was in Colombia for sort of five or six weeks it just disappeared off the inter- internet actually funnily enough we were releasing the EP and I, it, it looked like I was in on the internet but they're like <laughs> scheduled posts you know I was in Colombia drinking cocktails and dancing like but yeah traveling is so important I think because it just broadens the mind musically especially and I just love walking around with a tape recorder and recording everything and listening you know throughout the space of the year and picking up bits and and it's I just find it so good for, creatively you know, all of those places and to just immerse myself in the communities. And when you when you go anywhere like that with a fiddle on your back, you're just welcome. You know, there's no there's no language barrier. Um, so to be able to play with some local Colombian musicians and stuff was just brilliant. And sure, I'm like a dope, like, I you know, <laughs> the rhythms and stuff we think that we understand, we don't until you get over to those places and you go, wow, you know. It's completely different rhythms. Yeah, yeah. Just effortless, you know, effortless. Um, and then, as I, as I was saying to you a few months ago, I went to Palestine, which was, you know, only for eight days, but it was a, a life changing trip. You know, it really was. Were you playing with musicians over there as well? Yeah, I was teaching and actually learning more so. You know, I went over to the Laji uh, Center, which is in Ida, Ida Refugee Camp. And um, it's uh, just outside Bethlehem. And as we were, we were talking about, my good friend Anlo Carlin has opened a, a gym over there 
um, that's sort of based in Cork as well. And so he's been bringing people over for the last few years and yeah, just went over by myself again with the fiddle and immersed myself in the Laji Centre, just trying to learn and teach the kids. So it was great seeing them playing ouds and these like Palestinian instruments, playing jigs and stuff, you know, and down by the Sally Gardens um, and me learning a couple of their tunes. Um, yeah, that exchange and in a place like that, it, just the music and the arts is so important. Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you started the idea of like traveling seven years ago when you were like, right, January, I'm going away yeah. for, for the month. Was it with the idea of learning about music or was it just just the idea of traveling? I think uh, both, you know, I think definitely to try. I've definitely chose places that are really rich culturally, if if you know, if yeah, that's probably the best way to say it. But the sun d definitely helps as well, you know, <laughs> and you come back and you're ready for spring. I think it's such a good call. To Especially in January, January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. January's like, a long, cold, yeah. dark month in Ireland, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and like I went this year on New Year's Eve and it was as everything was kicking off again you know, here in terms of pandemic and lockdowns and like I just New Year's Eve, I was sitting in Colombia, I arrived at 12 and was, you know, had a cocktail in my hand and was going, yeah, I can do this for the next six <laughs> weeks, you know, just especially I knew with the year ahead, I said, I need this time and um, I'm good at, I think, preempting and going, this is important time for for me right now. Where have you got your eyes on for January 2023? I don't know, Owen. I don't know. Um, I have to be in the States very early in February. So that's changed it a little bit. But I'm sort of, I haven't, like, I'd, I think I'd like to stay in Europe, actually. It's been a long time. And um, I was in Spain a couple of days ago and I heard a little bit of Andalusian music. And that's an area I know nothing about, you know. Um, and Portugal and, you know, some of the Italian music as well. I've just... I think uh, somewhere around there, you know, you'll see a snap anyway of me sitting on a nice warm beach. Hopefully. Well, no, I'll see your scheduled posts. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, she's, yeah, yeah. she didn't go after, after all. <laughs> yeah. What's Andalusian music like? Is is that kind of my my stereotypical kind of Spanish ser serenades, serenading type music? Yeah, I don't know much about it other than it's, than it's sort of Spanish guitars and seems to be gentle, you know, um, but also have like great passion in it. I just heard a little bit of busking when I was over there and my ears pricked up. So it definitely, yeah, preempts me going over with the tape recorder and fiddle and speaking with some broken Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have different ideas of kind of what sound you would make as, you know, uh, as your artistic output when you started traveling seven years ago? Was it kind of like you're trying to gather all of these global sounds and you thought that they might all come into the music? Maybe, maybe they still do. They definitely did, you know, with every place like in Cuba I wrote say a bossa nova or you know the the jazz lessons that I was getting over there off local guys on the guitar then I wrote songs like that and it was like I wanted to tick off every single place right this is how the Cuban rhythm sounds and write a tune like that and you know in Morocco I, I came away playing tunes as well that I still play in my sets and definitely for each place I've tried to write music based on it just to keep it interesting for me as well um, and definitely with the live sets you know, I like to bring people on a journey and I suppose it's my journey from the last few years. And although it's rooted in tradition and language, it definitely, for me, I can hear those influences coming in and I enjoy bringing them into it, you know? Yeah. 
Now, I was talking to Patrick Steffen uh, on last week's episode of the podcast, and he kind of had a similar journey. He was in University in Hel- of Helsinki, and he went traveling around and getting lessons from different people. And he kind of had that as his uh, kind of music for a while before realizing, like, actually, no, it's it's not what I need to do. And it sounds like he kind of had a bit of a reset at the start of the pandemic, like I think you had mm. too. You kind of had time to sit down and think about things am I right in saying that is that what kind of happened to you definitely yeah I mean before the pandemic I was playing a lot of different sort of genres it was always the fiddle at the core but you know there was jazz and there was blues creeping in and there was everything just because of the travels and just wanting to yeah write a Cuban song write a Moroccan song write a Guatemalan song and yeah definitely I needed that time to just like not find myself oh my god I can't believe I just said that but you know what I mean like, you can say you can say oh it, you know god. everybody finds themselves sometimes. oh Jesus um yeah something like that you know and I think it was the the setting of being in Connemara in a really isolated sort of cottage and really going you know what is the music that actually moves me like deeply you know and just thinking about like sitting and playing a tune that I've known since I was four or whatever and I was going yeah actually it's always been that and I knew that I'd come back to that um and I don't regret the years of genre hopping and exploring because it it's there now and it can creep in but I know what I'm about now you know as as much as anyone does like but the last few years definitely it was everything and anything um so it's great to just sort of come back home you know for a while anyway (laughs) (laughs) and how do you feel about the album are you happy with how it sounds is it what you had envisioned to win a bit years ago um yeah I am happy with it yeah I suppose it's been it's been a long and mad and exhilarating and exhilarating journey you know like there's a part of me that goes oh I wish I just went into a studio for a week and lashed it out and that was that but it honestly like I explored every single nook and cranny like of the West Coast, like from <laughs> Mizzen to Mallon, like I left nowhere out, you know, and it really feels like the album is taken from the ground. Just the amount of, I suppose, soul and heart and like in a way research I did I- I the last few years of actually talking to those Connemara fishermen and going up to Donegal and, and talking to older people about the folklore up there in the Bailadis and spending time with these communities of women that we'd gathered the last few years for various videos and swimming in every single spot that you know along the coast that I wrote the album about it feels like I really um went really deep into it you know and yeah it's been it hasn't been the easiest thing to put together you know just because a lot of it started we started the recording in West Cork in 2020 you know and then I had to go and hold a bit but that was also the best thing that could have happened you know and it found its feet and I just really got to dig deep (laughs) yeah yeah uh what's your favorite place that you were along the west coast any um top tips for me yeah got to go here yeah yeah yeah. um big fan of Inishir I must say yeah yeah mad place like yeah the hotel is dangerous there I'll, (laughs) I'll let you know that um Big fan of Inishir, yeah, but the, yeah, the hotel, I was there for my birthday last year and... Uh, Dangerous in a good way. Oh my God, like, I'd, I rarely drink and it was the birthday, didn't have any gigs and I asked them, they had a cocktail menu, like, in this, like, real owlad, the hotel, like, it's just owlads drinking cans of cider. The, the hotel, like, right by the pier. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a mad place and uh, they had a cocktail menu on this Friday night and I was going, right... Like they had a white Russian. So I went up to this 16 year old 
fella who definitely shouldn't have been working there. And I was like, I'll take a white Russian. And honest to God, he got a pint glass, <laughs> filled it with milk, with milk, like Dawn milk, and then put in like seven different spirits. Oh my God, I was so sick. I was that person that came over to Danish year and just like falling around. <laughs> yeah, poison. But Was the pint glass sense. full? It was like three quarters full of Dawn milk. And then he just got random spirits. And you know when you're in such shock, you don't even know what to say. And I was just staring you're at him You're watching him making it and you're like, this, what is... Is it happening? Like, <laughs> Have you had a proper white Russian since? Were you like, is that actually how you make a white Russian? Three, qu- three like, quarters of a pint of milk. Oh, I think I've been off but for life. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe being up in Dublin, I might chance my arm, but Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, in this year. Okay, so yeah. I have to have to try the cocktails. Yes, yeah, try the cocktails. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, tell me about working with Brian Gacy down in Clannacilty. It sounds like it's a really um, nice studio to to be in, and he's a great guy to work with. Fantastic! I love that part of the world. You know, I love that part of the world, and uh, yeah, we've had a great relationship over the last few years, myself and Brian, and he's just. He's a genius and he's so humble and kind. And what I really love about the studio is it's so simple. Like you can go into a lot of recording studios and then they, they have the best of gear. And, you know, I, I'm personally not into that. And it's just a beautiful live room, a wooden room just outside Clannacilty, looking out at the trees, a river. It's simple and he just gets a great sound and he's he's brilliant. And I've worked really closely with him the last few years and we just get each other. Do you know, it's, it takes a long time to find that person. And we worked really closely on all the Teardrick of stuff and that I would mix it all to a certain level. And then I was sending him like 90, 100 stems. And it like, I think for one of the ones of, in Carry My Song, it was like, there was a few stems that were titled Claire and Susan Scream 1 and Claire and Susan <laughs> Scream 2. Like, and he put it all together. And uh, yeah, just to have a place again that you're 10 minutes from the sea in any direction is brilliant when you're down there for a few days with the band and um, dying to get back there. Did you struggle with any songs on the album? Like were any, were any of them like actually tough to to work on? Maybe they were all tough. Um, not really, Owen, to be honest, you know, not really. Um, I had plenty of time to think and put it together and again, surrounded by good people and inspirational people like between the band and the collaborators running through. Yeah, I didn't really, to be honest. I'm it was sure. all easy. Yeah, not not <laughs> easy. I, I I think that the thing that I possibly struggled with was it was all recorded in so many different places and to try get it to all sound the same. Um, again, which Brian, I think, did you know, um, but honestly, that there were songs that were recorded, like the one I did with Susan was recorded in a sitting room, you know, outside ho- in Hotel Doolin, you know, with sh- like crap SM57s and just sh- shouting and howling and just the energy of it. And then I, there was one or two with Steve that were up in Donegal and then a lot of them I did in Connemara by myself, one or two down in Mizzen Head. So that was interesting, you know, and I'm only figuring out that world and producing my own music and recording it all. And but it was great. And I'd and it's nice to, to do it that way. It keeps it fresh and just to see all those places as well and spend the time in them, I think, um, came out, you know. 
And is there any traditional music on the album? Just because my knowledge of traditional music isn't uh, as full as a lot of other people's, but there's some kind of reels and stuff on there. Are they traditional reels or is it all kind of your own creation? Um, there's no, everything on it is self-composed, yeah. But there is definitely one one track called I See No Light is is an old air, but I've sort of navigated it a little bit to my own uh pleasing I suppose but yeah there's there's reels and jigs I think going through most songs you know um just little references all the time but they are they aren't old tunes you know um they're self-composed but I suppose a lot of the references running throughout the album are of old folklore and um and Bailedis and and old tunes you know and old music um but they are newly self-composed yeah um and it kind of starts with the sea you're asking your you're asking the question uh yeah. does sea define land does it define me yeah uh did you find the answer to that not, not quite not quite yeah <laughs> yeah it seems like uh the sea is an important part of it it's kind of there towards the end as well is that kind of how you sequenced it i suppose you know kind of book ending yeah yeah i wanted to start with the the foot the west cork footsteps walking around and the sea howling in and sort of ease into it and then end with it you know and the sea sort of starts fading out at the end and you can hear the song sort of going back across the sea you know definitely was I wanted this fluidity running through it you know and broken up with little experts of of people speaking and that's yeah obviously a massive part of it as well but the sea has been is definitely I think the main theme of it all you know and all that, that encompasses because you know looking out here today it's a beautiful sunny day and you know the the sea couldn't have been more beautiful there an hour ago but it also turns and um if you don't respect that you're in trouble and I think it's acknowledging along the west coast for me which I really learned the last few years is that it's a place of great contradiction and there's with there's dark there's light and there's rise and there's fall and love and loss and yeah it's funny some of these the most picturesque places that I, I spent time also have great tragedy you know when you start to look into the the folklore and stuff so I think tipping the head to that and acknowledging it is is good <laughs> you mentioned uh the fisherman earlier he's there on track two that was just like a neighbor or something in Connemara <laughs> was it yeah he was the one fella that spoke to me for like the last year and a half and I think <laughs> it was because he basically him and his like friends and their Toyota Red Yaris used to come down and watch me skinny dipping all the time oh. <laughs> I thought there was no one around oh that's a bit <laughs> no it's sort of mad it is sort of mad, but you know, I was <laughs> like, you know what? Fair play. There's nothing much going on going on around here for the last year and a half, like lockdown. But I did say say to him, "Look, I'd love to record you." And he said, "All right." So, well, in his mad Irish that I couldn't really understand, and I brought him a bag of cans and spoke to him over his gate <laughs> and recorded him all about fishing. You know, back back in the day, and bringing in like that track is all about bringing in the lobster pots. Yeah, very funny. Like, and just a wild head in him. You know that some of the, the the older fishermen they just you can see it in their faces. You know, and he's these two wild dogs that were just up on a wall behind him. It was a bizarre scene. You know. Has he heard the song or uh, do you no, know? No, he hasn't. You're going to send him a CD or anything I like that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I did tell him like he knew I was a musician and I think I'd like to just hand deliver it one day. But I did give him one of my other CDs and he was like, 
oh there's no Shano Sandlot and I was like no <laughs> so I'm not sure how it would go down with him <laughs> but he might hear it one of the days in Reading yeah Quintetra. like I mean a small, a small world yeah. like I'm sure there's someone the, someone will probably mention it to yeah, him yeah. Uh, at some point yeah. um, what other uh, contributors do you want to talk about um, the song the kind of the poem that you're doing with Mancon Ma- Manacon Magon yeah it's, that's right. uh, is really interesting kind of you speaking Irish or you speaking English and him mm. translating it that's kind of like a, a kind of a traditional thing as well isn't it like Kila do that as a little bit do they yeah I'm not I'm not sure um yeah Mancon has just been a massive influence for the last year or two as well you know did you read his book 32 words for field no Breed has yeah mm. Breed said it was great it's brilliant yeah really brilliant um he's just doing important things for getting people back into Irish exactly you know, in an accessible way and f- for me as well, you know, and he had this project called Sea Tamagotchi that he went around and collected all long last forgotten words of the sea. So that's what sort of spurred that poem on and the, the song straight after it is using all of those words and putting them into a song so I can do my part and keeping it alive, you know, all those those words that if if we don't talk about them, they will disappear, you know. Um, but Mancon, yeah, he's just been a massive influences, influence. And again, another kind soul. I like the kind souls. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought it was just really nice to to do that together. And again, like we just filmed that and recorded it on Loch Ney, just near where he lives in County Westmeath, just before my gig of Body and Soul and just spent a beautiful afternoon together, you know, talking and having tea and more tea and more tea. And <laughs> then, yeah, going down to this lake and just reciting it. Yeah, really, really enjoyed having him on it. The last time that we talked over Zoom, you were just about to head out to meet Liam O'Mainly. I think you had some putching in one hand and <laughs> maybe your fiddle in the other hand. How did how did uh, playing with him go? Great. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yes, I think that was, we did a gig somewhere up a mountain. Halfway up a mountain, you were saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was divilment. Yeah, good fun. Great. Yeah, another, yeah, massive inspiration for the last year or two. And uh, just admire his freedom, you know, and his soul. And you don't find that every day, like. <laughs> is is that track on the album? That's it's, just on the EP? Yeah, just on the EP, yeah. The the only two that made it from Tear to Camp and Fumdrakau was carrying my song and Oblum Druin just because they they sitted in so well thematically and they were exactly where the al- the rest of the album was recorded as well. You know, it was sort of West Cork, West Connemara in a sheer and Donegal. So they were, you know, on, on the path, on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, great to have Susan and, and Steve and Tommy. You know, they, they couldn't be left out. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about working with Susan. Is she like an old pal or was it just for that song that you that you met her yeah we we started working together in sort of 2019 funnily enough we got paired together to do this gig in a cow shed down on <laughs> Browhead, right <laughs> like it was for this thing called lay of the land and i think we'd have oh a, yeah 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 yes and myself and susan were asked to do the music and it was absolute madness you know this cow shed it was a full moon um, people were howling at it and it was, our instruments were flying everywhere like Susan's guitar like flew off or at one point it flew onto the ground and it was mad and we had so much fun, you know, just the energy together and it was great, you know, it was one of those really, really special nights and there's just a mad energy. There's a lot of women there, you know, and people were howling at the moon and um, I it was also the first time I ever got punched in the face but it was accidentally, like, 
<laughs> we were the organizer said, right, you're staying in this white highest fan down there, you know, down at the pier or whatever. Um and there was like ten white highest fans when I went down there, loads of camper vans. So I was sort of trying to find the one, but it was also maybe it was late, like let's just say that. And I opened up the first one, which I really thought was the van and this woman I opened up the back of it and she literally got such a fright that she came flying at me and just like bang into the face <laughs> I was just like oh, okay this isn't the right fan it's gonna um, sober you up I know and I've kept meeting her funnily and we have a great laugh over it now every time like she lives down in Dingle and oh we have some crack but every time I see her I'm like please don't <laughs> <laughs> she recognize you the next day oh you're stop. probably like yeah I know, yeah, 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 no, it was very funny, but yeah, Susan's, she's fantastic. Mm, yeah, Brito at the Guitar Festival down in Clonakilty recently, she played, it sounded like a packed yeah. Debarras, and Breed was just saying that, yeah, she's going to be a superstar, she kind of is already on her way there, like touring yeah. the States with Mick Flannery and all of the gigs yeah. they're doing, it just sounds like, yeah, they're going to be, she's going to be, like, yeah. one to watch. Yeah, 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 absolutely. To yeah. use that cliche. The sample of Bernadette Devlin Michaliski. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. I don't really know her that well. Yeah. It's probably a bad thing to say. <laughs> Not at all. Did you see her on the Tommy Tiernan show there a few months ago? She basically, I suppose, no. Northern Irish um, civil rights activist, you know, and really badass, like really, really badass. You know, she was, I think, for a while with the, the Black Panthers in New York and she just really did a lot for civil rights in the North. Fearless and resilient. And I've obviously admired her from afar for a long time. And Anla, who we were chatting about earlier, also has a podcast called Rebel Matters. And he interviewed her and I heard the sample and I just said, you know, I wrote to her and and asked him, I said, I, I think that that would be, it just spurred a whole song, the Onam and all that comes out of it was really, she was at the core of it, you know, and her work and as as well as all the other, you know, Irish women that, that I talk about so yeah I just thought it was the perfect sort of like the, the power of the women um, and just the sentiment that she has behind that that clip you know and it translates fuckle fasta is like wise words and I just thought they were the perfect sort of wise words leading into the the Anna song so is Anna kind of a response to her um, she was in the back of my mind, 100%. But it, it to be honest, on and more emanated out in Inishir when I was spending time out there and looking at the island women and just thinking, wow, they're amazing, you know. And and again, maybe when you get to the mid to late 20s, you go, you look at your own mother, grandmother, and you go, like, how do they do as many things as they do in like 20 minutes? And to not, yeah, maybe see that over the years and now you're like wow (laughs) so yeah yeah, it was a nod I think to to them and to loads of like Ron Uel and Maggie Barry and all these people and um and to sort of modern day women as well like the Devon workers and you know being from Cork I was seeing that all the time and like them standing out for and doing the longest strike in Irish history was mad like so definitely just a nod to to all of that do you think it's a like a bit of a political nod as well Mm, I suppose, to be honest, I'm I am quite apolitical, you know. I to me the the most important thing always is music, you know, and and whatever ideas you want to embed in it, absolutely. But it, for me, it's always about music and and community, you know. And 
so the the song isn't really going you know there there is one or two references to politicians hiding from women from the north side i find that pretty funny like because <laughs> they did you know when the devon workers and all that was happening but in general like the song you know was the kickstarter really in gathering all these women in the four provinces and celebrating you know the women young and old and brave and bold and any creed and culture and size and whatever um so it definitely was was really about the community and just acknowledging um the, the inspiration women in my life and that idea that bernadette is talking about in her vocal sample and just the idea of on and all as well do you think that that's something that you've only discovered yourself like in recent years that Ireland has kind of discovered since like 2015 with all of the um uh referendum um marches and everything like that Ireland is kind of like the youth has kind of discovered a more political voice I would think is that something that is relatively new to you or has it always been there it's always been surfacing I think yeah it's it's always been there but um it's probably just as you get that wee bit older as well and you, you, as I said, do acknowledge these women in your life and, you know, I have two younger sisters as well so I've always been very conscious um, as the older sister and everything else, you know. But definitely, yeah, she says, you know, the revolution is coming and it won't be led by and it'll be led by the young women and there very much seems to be the tide is turning, you know, Um and just funnily enough, thinking about the, the gig last night, the organiser at the start said, you know, and Irish music has never been in such a good place and it's being led by the women, um, which I was very happy to hear. <laughs> and yeah. um, I was sharing a stage, you know, with Cathy Jordan of Dervish, who again is just this mighty woman. And I look at some of these people like Cathy and Imelda May and a pe- few people that have crossed paths with the last few years and Mary Coughlin. I go, wow, if I could be doing that in 30 years, I'd be very, very happy with myself, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, just really inspirational, strong women, and yeah, it does seem to be changing. And it seems that even the team, the small, small team that I've sort of surrounded myself are all younger women, and that's not a choice. It's just the way it's sort of happened. Maybe people are coming out of the woodwork a little bit more or something, but it's very exciting. Uh, it is your name. It's like Claire Sands on the album cover. If there's, if it's on the album cover, yeah. um, does it doesn't feel like it's a solo album though? Really, yeah. by the sounds of it, it sounds like it was a very collaborative thing. Even going back to that EP, yeah, yeah, definitely. It just I I called it self titled because it feels like it's the most authentic sort of coming back to the roots and digging deep that I will go for a long time. You know, um, and again, it's after you know, going under my name the last few years, but playing a lot of different genres and just so many different styles that it really feels like this is back to the roots. Like, um, I can't go deeper than that. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I could call it a million and one things, but I said, no, like, this is me. You know, this is me, my fiddle playing, my voice, the language, like the land, like this is what I'm about. You know, it really, really is. And um, although you've you've spoken word and you've all these people um, coming in and out like that's also me is is collaboration it's been such a massive part of my life for since I was 15 or 16 and uh, yeah it just felt like the best thing the most authentic thing to call it whatever authentic means you know <laughs> uh, the album cover itself is also amazing did it take much work to actually get that of you tumbling in the sea holding <laughs> onto your fiddle oh and oh my god like that was a, that was the first hypothermic episode of my life yeah yeah um 
we tried to take the shot out in Inishir for a good year, I'd say, um, because the water there is the clearest. You know, if you've if you've been out to that beach, it's just like it's like the Bahamas or something. Is that where the the dolphin Rusty the the yes. don't get too close to him dolphin is? Yes, yeah. <laughs> don't get close. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't too close to you that day. I hope. No, no, but um, yeah, tried to get the shot for so long. You know, went out with GoPros and just tried for so long with with one of my long term collaborators leading and um eventually we just had a clear day and she'd gotten a, a better camera that she'd loaned like a really nice canon and the fiddle again my dad like has made you know made a fiddle for seven years and all he does now is collect them and he is a man to know an eBay deal when he sees one really? and uh, yeah <laughs> funnily enough the viola that I play and the fiddle that was in the shop, both of them were for £25 because some lad just had them up like good stage props. You know, people think if things don't have strings that they're not worth money. So he knows this. But it, since he has so many, he said, right, I'm going to sacrifice this fiddle for you. So it's it's not uh, photoshopped like it's actually a fiddle under the water. And it lasted actually for about 40 minutes because it was a hot summer's day. And then it absolutely it was like the titanic like the neck flew off the strings were like but it was mad like it lasted for a long time it was just the weight then of diving and tumbling that it filled up with water and it gradually expanded but it can be put back together funnily enough just give it to your dad he it's his project for the winter he's oh delighted. is it actually he's delighted with life really i saw it on his <laughs> desk a few days ago <laughs> yeah Wow. Yeah. Um, so 40 minutes or thereabouts was how long it took to get the shot. Yeah, I was cold. Like, yeah. But that was, again, maybe the fifth attempt. It's, it's worth it. I mean, it's a striking image. Uh, thank you. I'm very glad to hear that. It means a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you survived and the fiddle might. It will. Another day. <laughs> what kind of fiddle are you playing at the moment? Is it like a very special one to you? Yeah, it is, again, a thing my dad knows his fiddles. We went over to Paris when I was about 16 or 17 to the flea market over there, Marshall Pousse, I think it's called. There was these fiddles sticking out of an umbrella stand. And I knew that he'd, like, he always used to get me to bargain because I was like, you know, a sweet little girl or whatever. And uh, he found my fiddle and it's it was just sticking out of an umbrella stand. It's 105 years old and uh, it's the most beautiful instrument. Um, it rarely comes out at, you know, festival gigs or anything. But again, just a mad story. And then smuggling them all back with Ryanair was hilarious. Like plenty of plane smuggling and fiddles the last while. <laughs> uh, do, do you try out different fiddles or is that always, the, is that the only one that we hear on the album? That is the only one you hear. Yeah, it, it mixes between that and me playing the viola then, which is like the, the bigger brother, you know, it's deeper. And then I'm also on the cello, which is deeper again. Um, But yeah, those, it's the fiddle and the viola really the whole way through. And again, it's been a part of me since I was, you know, 15 with that par- Parisian fiddle. So it won't be going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and does your dad kind of recoil at the idea of you putting it through all of these pedals or anything like that? I think he likes it, you know, I had an electric violin there for, as you're saying, for Glastonbury and I had it all plugged in and I was practicing at home and he came over and he was like playing his real purest reels in it and he was like, ooh, <laughs> and he's from the north so he's pure, like, er, like he's just straight up, you know, and he was like, I quite like that, Claire. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, he's happy to see the explorations. Okay, think, okay. You know? uh, well, it sounds like you're really proud of it as well, which is great. I think so. You know, I think it's okay to 
like acknowledge that as well mm. you know because i spent you you go through mad um stages of of hating and not wanting to listen to it loving it you know it's like a weird relationship you know especially when you've like not that i would have much experience of like something like that of hate love hate love but <laughs> covering your bases there oh god not that i can remember anyway but um yeah it, it feels i'm just excited to have it out like it's it's coming on wednesday and it just feels like it's it's been a very exciting journey overall you know and just amazing to work with so many people and to just come back to my own roots and um, that were a long time coming and uh yeah it's been an exhilarating journey and um yeah i'm gonna embrace it and play play the fiddle a little bit more hopefully <laughs> yeah uh, have you started making morning music since or have you taken a break from making music or i have yeah i've i i, I have another project on the go that'll all be out next year sort of similar to the oh. The yeah, Claire Sands album. No, it's um, it's sort of similar to the Teardrika Fumdrika in that it's based on the most um northern, southerly, easterly, and westerly points, like on the island. So the extremities, you know, and it's again like a week with four other sets of collaborator collaborators, um, and spending time like in the furthest point north, the furthest point east, south, and west. So there's some very exciting people that I've that I've worked with there's one collaboration left but again this year to in between the album madness and the and the touring it's it's very humbling and and grounding to spend a week with um like yeah just collaborators again that and in these mad places you know around around the island so that will all be coming next year Malin and Mizzen are the most northerly and southerly. Yeah. They, what's the most west and most east? So most west, I was there two weeks ago, is Dunmore Head out in Ballyferreter. And then east is sort of in the south is Wicklow Head, basically. Um, so again, places that have spent no time. So I'm excited to see what the east has to offer. <laughs> and finally, uh, what's your favourite place to swim in Ireland? Oh, the toughest question so oh far. Oh my God. Um, I would say Clahan in West Clare. Um, it is very, very warm water, and they always have a wee seaweed bath thing, which um I quite enjoy getting into afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, funnily enough, we I have a vinyl coming as well, sort of around Christmas time, and a big part of I suppose the CD and the vinyl and everything is that I don't want it just to be another CD, like just a normal cover and you know, I want to make it like an art piece, I suppose. And with the vinyl, I I got an artist friend of mine over in London who, again, I grew up with, you know, in, in Blarney. And she has drawn this swim map with the coordinates of all my favourite swim spots and the coordinates of the four places that the album was recorded. It's the most amazing drawing. It just arrived a few days ago in from London, so I'm sort of, it's fresh. Um, And yeah, there's just, we've fold out posters and just all sorts of things, um, which is really nice to be able to share more of the journey and and secret coordinates as well. Like they're proper secret coordinates, so <laughs> they're, but they're sort of hidden within it. Like there's a door, and it's yeah, it's very exciting. Cool, great. Yeah. Uh, look forward to trying out the map. Yes, <laughs> great. Cool. Thanks a lot for the uh, chats and congrats again on the album. Thank you, Owen. It's great to chat to you as always. Ireland till I die Maggie Barry, the lads try
That's Anna Minaw from Claire Sands' off-her-self-titled debut album. What an artist she is. I loved chatting with her and hope the record just does great things for her. I think she totally deserves it. And yeah, if you're able to see Claire live, don't even hesitate. She puts on a tour de force of a performance. Another tour de force is Farah L, a Dublin-based musician who releases her debut album Fatima this Friday, October 7th. It's named after her mother, Fatima Hamrush, who returned from Ireland to Libya in 2011 to become health minister in the Libyan transitional government after the fall of Gaddafi. Farah had a brilliant interview with Lauren Murphy in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago, and one important quote that I'll read out from Farah. 
Mum knew that it could potentially be very dangerous for her family because of our granddad's connection to Libyan politics. He was a court-martial judge all through the 1960s before Gaddafi came into power. Gaddafi was a soldier before he was president and assaulted another soldier, and my granddad gave him a little slap on the wrist, which was three days in prison. But little did my granddad know that Gaddafi was going to become president and would hold the grudge. So they kidnapped the judge and threw him into the prison. Because of my mum's direct connection to that, we moved. So I didn't want to ask Farah to go over that because we were only talking for 30 minutes and Lauren did such a good job with that interview too, I didn't want to try and copy it. But that whole thing does come up a little towards the end, so hopefully that's the context that you need to understand what Farah is getting, getting at when she's chatting with me. Siobhan Kane, reviewing Farah's new album for The Irish Times, said, This assured debut sees Elle unfolding in the songs, an unfolding that is interesting, reflective and expressive. So we'll get into the discussion with Farah L now. First, let's listen to Desert from that debut album, Fatima. There's an island, I call it the star. It's where you'll find it, it's calling me far. Can't deny I'm calling you more. Woke, inspired, believe that it's calm. In the desert.
So you're putting the album out the day after your birthday, I think. Was that always the plan? I think it was, yeah. I think it always was the plan. I am so excited. You have no idea. Like, I have been sitting on this for seven years. Like, that's when I started writing the album. And don't they have a thing about, like, cell regeneration taking seven years? <laughs> so I am literally composed differently now <laughs> as than I was from when I started. So, dude, oh, I need to let it out. Like, I, th I think it's uh, seven years of bad luck if you break a mirror as well, though, isn't it? It's it, we're, we're staying away from that, though, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no bad luck here. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you say you've been sitting on it for seven years, like, wh what do you mean? That you've had all of these songs for seven years or that some of them have been recorded for seven years? No, I started writing them. So Silk was the... Silk was really like Silk is the opening track of the album and it was really what set me off on it kind of set me off on a stream of consciousness that lasted for a few years <laughs> and that was really yeah it really was kind of propelled by Silk um so when I say it's been there for seven years it's kind of when it started really when I started finding my voice as an as a grown woman you know as a growing woman still, I'd say I was still growing during that a lot because I don't even sound the same anymore. And it's funny because when I reflect on it as well, I'm like, I don't even sing those songs the same way I do. And I like that. I like that it's always evolving, but I don't have the same rage, you know, that I used to. Maybe it's just transmuted into a different way, but it was definitely something that I was working through for for years and I'm so ready to just set it free. Was there a moment where you actually sat down and was like okay it's time to think about the debut album and you thought about these songs did you think about like shelving them and trying to write something completely new specifically for the debut album or did you always know that these songs would be the debut album? I just knew that they would all be the debut album like I I knew when I was writing songs that there were some that were particularly strong and that there were some that were particularly finished you know that were just nicely put together and structured and they worked at gigs um, and by they worked I mean I was able to feel them every time I played them and I knew I wouldn't get sick of them so those were the ones that I knew were gonna be put together on the album and that also really succinctly described what I was feeling at the time and I think that's all I really needed from the songs was like sometimes I would just sometimes I just sit at my piano and play certain songs because I need to let a certain feeling off my chest and I feel like each one of the songs on that album does that in a different way and describes different experiences very well for me and are appropriate for certain moments. Yeah, they kind of they kind of give me some kind of release, you know. You said you've been sitting on it for seven years. I I think the first time that I heard your heard of you heard your vocals was on Feel It Out on Bantam's second album Move, which is about almost seven years old. We'll yeah. say there thereabouts. Was that your first experience of kind of making and releasing music? Was that a moment where you were like, oh, I want to keep doing this? <laughs> yeah, that was. No, my first experience of releasing music was when Silk got released on the BIM album. 
because they chose it to be recorded and produced in the college and that it would be released on this compilation album. So that was my first time actually releasing something. Um, and then the Bantam collaboration and release was my first time doing a collaboration that was being released. And I also had no idea how great it was going to be. Like, you're going to laugh when I tell you how that song even came to be, because he just sent me this this loop, uh, which was the backing track. And I had to, like, leg it to go get a bus into town. So I only had about an hour to really sit down and look at it. But I just thought I'll just send him, like, a run of thoughts and see how he feels about it. So I have this box in my front room, which is full of lyrics from when I was like 14 years old. Like some of it is just way too intimate. Like <laughs> it's like my diary. Like I literally have a box of my deepest thoughts that way too accessible to people <laughs> in the front room of the house. And I literally like closed my eyes and grabbed a sheet of paper out of this box and those lyrics in feel it out were lyrics that i wrote when i was 14 years old so i just needed words to go with the melody that i had come up and that's what i do sometimes when i use lyrics i'm not really set on them straight away a lot of the time and then sometimes i just stick with whatever happens in the moment but that's really how feel it out came about like i i sent him demo vocals which ended up being the ones that we used because he was happy with them <laughs> So it was really funny. Like it was just done in an hour, like recorded from home. We weren't even in the studio together. He finished the tracks and then it ended up getting nominated for a choice award. And that whole experience was just amazing. And can I also just say that Rory, who's in Bantam, who is Bantam, is such a nice guy. Like he's just lovely. And it was a very nice experience to 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 kind of enter the music world like that. Great, great. Um, the album is called Fatima. It's named after your mum. That must have been nice for her to hear that you were calling it the album. Did you have like other choices that you were going with or did you always think, I'll name it after my mum. That'll be nice for her. <laughs> I went through so many. First, I was going to call the album Play It By Ear because that's named one of the songs. And now I'm like, I'm really glad I didn't go with that because that's so cheesy. But also... I thought it was a great name for an album at the time. because so I was like, yeah, play the album by ear. Absolutely. And it's one of the bangers. And then I was just randomly, and Zina wasn't sitting with me. And I was like, nah, maybe not. And I was just randomly sitting in this house that I used to live in um, as like a home share thing. And the person who owned the house was very like religious. And he had loads of like um, Catholic memorabilia all over the house. And there was a plaque on the wall uh, of, and it looked like the shape of a CD. It was the same dimensions as a CD. It was a tile from Fatima in Portugal. It's like a really holy place where people go to pray and do stuff. And then I was like, that looks like a CD cover. And then I was like, Fatima. I was like, that's my mom's name. That's also the name of uh, like the Islamic icon. Fatima <laughs> and then I was like this is so cross-culturally relevant <laughs> and that's what I really I am as well I feel like I'm very cross-culturally um 
applicable as a person. I think I, I don't like to identify anymore too much as like, I'm a Libyan, I was raised like this, I'm Irish, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I am a cosmic being. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, <laughs> I am like able to relate to so many different ways of being. And Fatima really made sense to me because the songs gave me sanctuary. Um, so if the songs can do that for other folks, then I'm absolutely flying. And yes, I needed to honor my mom because without her, I would not be where I am at all. That's and nice. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any songs specifically about her on the album or is it just just the album title, mum? That's all you're getting. <laughs> well, a lot of them. The thing about the album is they're all um, all the songs are actually inspired by my family. So there's, I don't really write love songs that often. So very, very, very few of them are actually about anything like friends or relationships. It's all directly about my family for the most part. Uh, I think there's one song, which is a heartbreak song, which is Holiday. And uh, Laundry, even though it sounds like a love song uh, about like a partner, was actually just born out of realizing what true love really was, I guess. Um, and that was when my mum did my laundry one day because <laughs> I literally got home. I was so wrecked from, I think I was at some, I think I was like electric picnic or body and soul or something. Anyway, I had a really exhausting weekend. It was like really rainy and I just was so deflated like. I was like dreading doing my laundry and then I came home and it was done. So I started like jokingly, no one was home either. It was free gas. I started like jokingly roaming around the house, just going home and my laundry's done. <laughs> like literally I was so happy my laundry was done. And that's how home my laundry's done. The whole hook was created. It was just me being an absolute Egypt like <laughs> having a laugh around the house and so that's kind of about her because I realized then like we think we're trying to figure out like what love is and all this when we were born out of love and the first people that show us love uh when we're like created in this world is like usually our moms you know and god but like <laughs> Depends what you call God. Some people will say it's whatever. I don't really get stuck on that stuff. But I just think that it's so beyond like me and my lover. Like I just think it's like so much deeper than that. And it shows up in action more than anything, you know? Wow. And it's just like, yeah, it's like when someone wants to make your life that little bit easier, that's real love. And <laughs> love is clean, love. clean clothes yeah it's clean clothes it's like a cup of tea it's someone listening to you and it's yeah it's it's everywhere so yeah yeah, yeah. that's kind of I kind of think laundry's about my mom in that way you know it's the final song on the album but in a way I kind of feel like it's one of the defining songs of the album too it's really fun song both to sing along to and listen to and it sounds like you had fun making it is that almost one of the themes of the album as well, that it was just like a lot of fun to record. Yeah, it was actually, it was. It was such a new experience for me. It was such a, an accomplishment to mode. And I was self-managed the whole way through. So I was completely motivating myself to do this and working with the team and being in charge of the team, which was really hard sometimes because I had to make difficult decisions along the way to get the job done as well, which 
was kind of not always easy, to be honest, because um, it meant firing myself from certain roles and firing people from roles as well. And that was really hard, actually. Um, it was also really fun because I'm so grateful for every single person that has like even just like a tiny little stamp of them on the album, whether they were there to sing along in laundry at the end because I got a group of people, a group of my friends and family in to do that or whether they were, you know, producing the album or playing an instrument on it or just even showing up and meet me for coffee that day. Like, you know, it's all there. Um, and it was so fun and it was such an experience and I learned so much from it that, yeah, I just think I'm, I'm always going to have that, that wisdom from, from that now and like knowing how to move forward with projects as well. And I made mistakes as well. You know, I made so many mistakes along the way. They're so good to learn from. Like I had many failures personally along the way, <laughs> you know? Uh, you don't you don't have to get into specifics of the failures or anything like that. But what's a difficult thing that you found about recording the album? Motivating myself to finish it. You know, there was absolutely no way I wasn't going to finish it. That's for certain. But between waiting on other people to get the job done on certain parts and knowing that I couldn't do those things was like, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and a control freak. So when I hand that power over to other people, I have to learn how to be patient. That's, that's, an, that's, a, that's an important thing. But also at the same time, I'm also the person running it. So I need to get, make sure things get done. And that can be very difficult when I consider myself much more... Uh, like I find much more enjoyment in the being an artist than I do in the business end of things. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I am flying and I do also love the business end, but I just want to give it less time and attention. Like I'd love to do 80, 20, like 80% do the artist stuff and 20% of the business. That's fine. I can do that. But when you're like self, self, manage self-funded that's a big thing self-funded as well like there's a certain you have to like learn how to like I really had to learn how to own my role and I'm not someone who likes to hurt people's feelings I had to accept like doing that as well and that was really hard and like I don't know even like now, after all of it, I'm like, damn, like I could have I could have done so many things differently. But I think that's like how it is with everything, you know, and just learning not to go so like hard on ourselves about mistakes that we make and just owning the mistakes as well. Because one thing for certain is like during the whole process, all I ever poured into this was love, like even with difficult decision making or even simple decision making like oh yeah put a snare there or blah 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 or like turn up the backing vocals here like 
that stuff, if you dwell on it, it'll never get done. So there's moments where you just have to be a bit cutthroat, you know, and just be like, no, like we got rid of one song on the album. There was one song that never made it onto the album. We just totally cut it off in like the last few months of production, (laughs) you know, and that to me was like, to me, that was like kicking a child out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! But then I was like, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe we just need to set it like it doesn't. It's not part of the album. That's fine. Like I don't need to be so deep about everything. But at the same time, I do need to be very, you know, honoring the sort of yeah the importance of of every step and every con- contribution. You know, uh, talking to other acts recently enough, it sounds like that admin side of things doesn't get any better. You say 80, 20 artists to admin. I think it seems to be the other way around. It seems like 80% is admin and 20% is art. So sorry, sorry but I, I don't know if you can change it. I know it's wild. It's wild. And you kind of, if you want to change it, you have to be really, really relentless about it this work-life balance thing is a very real thing that I have to like regularly fight for because the world does not want me to have a work-life balance. (laughs) It just doesn't, but I want me to have work-life balance. (laughs) So I try my best to have days of doing nothing. And by nothing, it's not really ever nothing. Like laundry needs to get done. Yoga needs to be done. Reflection needs to be done. Like, you know, we got a mind, a body and a spirit to look after. And that shit, that takes time. Self-care is a freaking full-time job. So yeah, we talked about the last song on the album. What about the very first sound that we hear on the album? Is that traditional Libyan Arabic music that you're singing from the very start? So that intro to Silk is a take on an old Lebanese artist called Feruz. Uh, had this song called Binti Shelabiya, which just means my girl of Shelabi, like it's her surname. Okay, and then Libya has its own Arabic dialect which I am fluent in because I'm Libyan, not Lebanese. <laughs> Constant mistake that people make. <laughs> Libya is in North Africa um, on the left-hand side of Egypt. <laughs> and <laughs> I really kind of, that was my first time learning how to speak, or sorry, how to sing in Arabic. I'd never really sang in Arabic before that. So when I did that, I was like, okay, this feels different. And it was expressing a part of me that I had really sort of um, repressed for a very long time. Like it was not cool to be Libyan uh, when I was growing up. And also it was not very, um, it wasn't very uh, pleasant all the time as an experience because of culture clash. And Silk was really written about my experience with culture clash and wanting to just decolonize myself and to just be free to express who I am but really how challenging that is and I don't think it matters where you're from I think that's relatable in any sense and I think the veil is a metaphor for a lot Uh, I think everyone wears a veil in ways and it was just like the beginning of me realizing how much of a role that had in my life and that intro was actually recorded in an ancient tomb in Meath called Fornox, um, where you get the key from a local farmer and you have the whole tomb to yourself. And we decided to go and record that in there, <laughs> uh, which was a very trippy decision to make, but I love that we did that. 
Um, so that's how it starts. And I think that kind of calls in just like spirituality in general, Celtic spirituality, which is such a cool thing about Irish people. And now that's part of me, but also there's huge links between North Africa and Ireland because we used to have a trading line. So a lot of Shan no singing shares the same modes that you have in Arabic scales. And when I say Arabic scales, I am only saying Arabic in terms of like the musicality and the language because um, North Africans are actually not like indigenously, they're not Arabs. Arabs colonized North Africa um, a long time ago, which is why we have the language there. But there's so much beauty and wisdom in that language and in that spirituality that sort of crosses over in a really beautiful way and I feel like starting the album with Silk and the fact that like the location was where it was and the scale and the singing and the language all blended together just sort of represents the big melting pot that I am and then it gets right into it you know and do you do any Shano singing yourself or any playing any trad or folk or anything no but I had I did actually learn uh Shano's song for a show that I was asked to take part of and I loved it and it felt very natural to me actually to sing like that it felt it felt right as well it felt right similarly to how it feels right in when I sing in Libyan well I say Libyan because Libya has its own dialect of Arabic just like any Arabic speaking country they throw their own spin on it yeah it just kind of felt really yeah it felt right have you been over to Libya much Bro, I cannot go to Libya. Like, I I can't go there now. I haven't been able to go for a long time. First of all, I couldn't go because it wasn't safe because of personal reasons with um, family stuff. And then I couldn't go because uh, the revolution happened and the war happened. And now I can't go because... Libya is still recovering from that, but also uh, I'm very like aware of the uh, like heat, I guess is a light way of putting it. The heat that my my mom had to experience by heat, I mean like assassination attempts for her role as a minister. Uh, she was the health minister after the revolution. And it was just so difficult that, I know it's gonna be okay and like it will be right but just not right now <laughs> like it will be right for me to go there and I do have dreams of playing a big show there in 2030 that's a really big dream of mine to do like an African tour and to kick it off in Libya or finish it off in Libya you know um but like that's future tense because right now there's they're still working through a lot but a lot can happen in 10 years and I really I do think we're not completely far gone. I think it is. I think our time will come, you know? Yeah. Um, and what about next? You're talking 2030. What about like nearer future? Have you, have you got like more music that you're sitting on? I'm presuming you yeah. do. Yes. I'm sitting on my favorite music I've ever written. Like, that's why I also really need to get this album off my chest because there's so much more to come. <laughs> like most people finish an album, put it out and then tour the album. I'm like, I want to finish the album, put it out and then start showing you all the mad new shit that I'm doing. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like so excited about the stuff that I'm writing now. I'm so much more comfortable in who I am. I'm so much more sure of myself. 
and I just don't feel the need to like shout about it anymore I just know what it is and I love it so much and I'm so ready to just like share that feeling with the world because it took a lot to get there you know well enjoy putting out this album first of all enjoy the experience of putting it out and I presume all of the love you're gonna get for it is Alice a great album so congrats on it thank you I really appreciate that home and my laundry's done I'll be coming home when my laundry's done Home and my laundry's done Baby, I'll be coming home Oh, when my laundry's done. 
I'll be coming home when my laundry's done. Home when my laundry's done. I'll be coming home when my laundry's done. Home when my laundry's done. I'll be coming home when my laundry's done. Home when my laundry's done. I'll be coming home when my laundry's done. Home when my laundry's done. I'll be coming home when my laundry's done. Home when my laundry's done. That's Laundry by Farah L. You'll be singing that all day now. All day. A proper earworm. And now, two more pieces of music before we finish up this week. Every week, we play brand new tunes by new up-and-coming Irish acts. We have two songs this week from artists Kairiko and Cork Band Staff Party. First, Carico is Dara Thomas, a composer from Dublin, who sent me an absolutely brilliant jazzy track called Black Sparrow. He seems to be releasing tracks quite sharpish at the moment because he's already released another new one called Tefric Fikrat, which is similarly jazzy. So we'll hear Dara give an introduction to that new track first and then we'll go into Jamie from New Cork Band Staff Party to tell us about their debut single, Solo. Hi, I'm Dara. I compose music under the name of Carico. I typically make short jazzy pieces with some electronica. So I use synths, live drums, some drum machines, uh, a lot of sax, some tuba and sometimes some cello or violin. Um, My latest track is called Tevfik Fikret. It's named after an important Turkish poet uh, who's remembered as an advocate for free speech and democracy. Two things uh, Turkey is sorely missing right now. I was in Istanbul recently and uh, I visited uh, the graveyard he's buried in. Uh, it's a very, it's a very pretty uh, graveyard with a beautiful view overlooking the Bosphorus. I spent a month, a month in Istanbul and I, I really loved it. First of all, the food is incredible, but the, the people are really great. And there's, there's so much history embedded in the place. Um, you can see how history has really shaped the city over the years. It made a very big impression on me. So whilst there, I, um, I wanted to compose something um, that captured a little bit of the spirit of the city. So this is the song. It, it's a little bit crazier than, than uh, most of the things I make. Uh, we got some synths, some wild and crazy sax, and some tuba. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed. Thank you very much.
Hey Owen, what's the crack? Jamie here from Staff Party. Thanks very much for having us on. We just released our debut single, Solo, which came out about two weeks ago. It was the 22nd of September, uh, but it was conceived a long time before that. It was actually, I think, the second song we ever played together as a band. Um, but where it initially came from, it was during a lockdown and I was just walking a lot and listening to a lot of music. And I was kind of in this deep dive of Fontaine's DC and Daft Punk back to back. So I was making a lot of dance tracks myself that were kind of instrumental stuff, as well as just writing kind of random punk tunes. Um, and then one night I just decided I want to try and make something Fontaine's-esque, but what I went to the guitar and the first thing I played instead was like a Nile Rodgers type rhythm with these like chromatic chords so i completely missed the mark on what i set out to do but i really liked what happened and then just you know took the took to the computer and then put it down looped it added loads of different layers different instruments and stuff and then just like created a dance track out of it and actually a fun fact was the dance track was initially just called like the Kathleen wine mixer just because fucking why not you know i just had this idea of it being a party tune and then after a while of listening to it i just kind of heard vocal parts which you know i started scatting and eventually the sounds became words the words became sentences and lyrics and then it was verses and a chorus came and then i was like wait all right so now this is a song and when it was a song i showed it to the lads and everyone like got really on board with it and we were like right let's do this tune lockdown's kind of finished we managed to get back together and then we got in the room played it live everyone was jamming out different parts adding different layers different stuff and it was class we just loved it we had so much fun playing it and that's been a thing for all of our gigs we've really enjoyed this tune and we feel like people respond to it and it's always a thing like where we all just get to have good fun with it so then when it came to recording we kind of wanted to that all translate we wanted to capture kind of the energy we have when we play it live so it was like we didn't record it as a live band we did you know studio with click and stuff like that but we wanted everyone to do a minimal amount of takes so it was kind of like as live as a studio recording could be that wasn't a live a whole live band setup and we got all our friends to come in and do some live group vocals which was just so fun and then we got completely loose with it and said right don't even sing the song just everyone make noise do it you please we were in the studio just threw some organ on it because there was an organ there and we recorded everything ourselves our bass player christopher hockey was kind of the recording engineer and he mixed it as well and then we got it mastered by a man called pete matter and that was the only outsourcing we did so it was a very diy project and we felt like that was a cool way to do our you know our first song um we thought it represented us really well you know dance and rock and homemade job and hopefully just a bit of crack and we had serious crack making it and we just hope everyone has fun listening to it because you know it's nice to have fun with music that's what it's that's what it should be for at the end of the day so that's solo
thanks to Kairiko and Staff Party for the voice notes and letting me play those tunes in full. Both so good. And hopefully we'll hear more from both acts over the coming weeks and months. If you want to send me music or get in contact with the show, email thepointofeverything at gmail.com or get me on Twitter at TPOEblog. And that's it for this week. Go listen to Claire Sands and Farah L's album, Support Irish Music. It's Bandcamp Friday this Friday, October 7th, so maybe buy something, an album or two on that day. All the money goes to the artist. If you enjoyed the TPOE podcast, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Maybe tell a friend or tell social media. And come back next Wednesday. Until then. (laughs) 